0: Okay, the title of the message this morning is Freely Given to Us. Freely Given to Us. Two weeks ago we left off while looking at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 2. And we were specifically looking at what we get and don't get from the Holy Spirit Remember, this is all in the context of the Holy Spirit being the one who draws us to Christ through the gospel message, thereby saving us. That's the context. It is not the wisdom of men that saves us, Paul says in verse 5, but it is the power of God. Paul says in the latter part of verse 12 and in verse 13 that the Spirit of God is given to us, quote, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, verse 13, which things we also speak, he says, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, end quote. Now, what does all of that mean is the question we want to answer this morning. Well, for starters, when Paul says in verse 12 that the Spirit of God is given to us, we need to train our minds to be in the habit of taking that literally Because that's how it is meant to be taken. The Spirit of God is given to us. Sometimes we forget. We shouldn't, but we forget that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Right? And we are taught by Jesus. Jesus taught His disciples this very thing from the very beginning. For those of you who are taking notes, in John chapter 14, verse 7, Jesus says this, That is the Spirit of Truth, capital S, Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you, disciples, apostles, know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And Jesus didn't only teach this, but Paul also taught this many, many times over. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, However, you are not of the flesh, but, no, I'm sorry, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. That is, he does not belong to Christ. In other words, if you are truly saved the Holy Spirit will dwell in you but if you are not saved it will be evident because you won't be about the business of doing the things that are indicative of one who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And if that's the case then you obviously don't belong to Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit which dwells in you. Paul also says a couple more verses down the page Romans 8:13 and 14 for if you are living according to the flesh you must die but if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live for all who are led or who who, who are being led by the spirit of god These are the sons of God. And this church is really the telltale sign. The proof is in the pudding. If you truly have the Holy Spirit in you, if you are genuinely being led by the Spirit of God, then you will, by default, be about the business of putting to death everything in your life that is of the flesh. Well, what's of the flesh, Mike? Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It's funny. We all memorize the fruits of the Spirit. Most Christians can rattle them off, but we don't memorize the deeds of the flesh, which are right before them. Galatians five, nineteen through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, Immorality, impurity, sensuality. I'm saying them slowly because I want them to sink in. Idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Paul just wanted to make sure he didn't leave anything out. So he says, and things like these, of which he says, I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you in the past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When Paul says in our text, 1 Corinthians 2.12, that God gives us the Holy Spirit so that, quote, we might know the things freely given to us by him that is by God. One of those things that God freely gives us is the ability through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to put these things to death In our mortal bodies. It is by the power of God. That we can put to death. These things in our mortal bodies. In our flesh. And furthermore. It is that same Holy Spirit. That enables us. To not only put to death. Those deeds of the body. But. The Holy Spirit. Also enables us. To do the complete opposite which is Galatians five, twenty-two and twenty-three, those fruits of the Spirit that we memorize. Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So the same Holy Spirit that enables us to put to death The deeds of the body also enables us to produce the fruits of the spirit. You with me? All right. When I was a little kid, I would often find myself in this little alley on the south side, uh, where my grandparents and my extended family lived, and my my parents grew up a few a, a few row houses away from each other they started dating when they were 13 okay and um my mom's family consisting of many aunts and uncles she had nine brothers and sisters and many many first cousins um that i had occupied 5 of those row houses in that one block of that alley. Some of them still live there. My mother and I would take the bus uh, down there from the suburb that we moved to from Southside, which was about six or seven miles away from Southside. And Wednesday was the day that we were sure to go there. It was the day um, that I loved going there the most. Why? Because that was the day that the Huckster would come down the alley. And the Huckster had a big box truck and um, he sold the freshest fruit that you could find in Berg out of the back of that truck. And He would pull his truck up in front of the houses in the alley and the alley is so narrow that you can't fit two cars through side by side. And you certainly, if there was a box truck there, couldn't fit anything uh, through on either side of the, the truck. So he took up the alley and we were able to stand in the middle of the alley and wait in line behind his truck on a hot summer day. I don't know how it was that he did this because his truck wasn't refrigerated, but a lot of the fruit was cold and very refreshing for us. It may have been cold because he probably got it in the strip district and then just hightailed it up to the south side, which isn't that far away. But anyway, our mothers would um, yell at us to make sure that we washed the fruit off before we ate it, but we, of course, as little kids didn't listen, and we just devoured the fruit uh, as soon as we possibly could. And so what i the reason why I'm telling you this is um, nothing that the huckster sold was bad. There was no such thing with him as bad fruit. If uh, he had bad fruit, we never saw it and we never tasted it. Okay, so he only gave us the best fruit and most delicious fruit, pump, juicy grapes, huge, fresh peaches and pears. On a hot summer day, it was all good fruit to us. I obviously thought about that while preparing the sermon. The huckster only had good fruit, and it was splendid. How many folks of us kids do you think would have lined up at the back of that truck if the huckster's fruit was bad? The answer is obviously zero. Why? Well, because bad fruit is putrid, uh, the complete opposite of refreshing on a warm summer day. Bad fruit is foul, okay? It's rancid. It stinks. And even an elementary school kid can recognize the difference between good and bad fruit when they see it. And... My point is that even so, today, you and I will be recognized by the kind of fruit that we produce. And if we continually produce bad fruit, people will know that we continually produce bad fruit. Just like Moses told the Israelites in the wilderness, he said, be sure your sin will find you out. And um, Paul said in Galatians, uh, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That's Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Now listen carefully. Does that mean that if we have the Holy Spirit living in us that we will never sin or that God expects us to never sin even one time? Obviously not. We mess up and we sin every day. But our sin, and this is the key, is not habitual. Um, At least it shouldn't be our certain... Certain specific sins should not be habitual. At least we hope they're not. Remember Paul says in verse 21 of Galatians 5 that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Greek word for practice here means that it is something that is done regularly, habitually. As long as we live in this fleshly tent and in this fallen world, we are going to mess up and sin even when we don't want to, even when we hate our sin. And that's the key. The key is we shouldn't want to. If you find yourself purposefully practicing sin, and in doing so, your conscience begins to convict you less and less, and sin becomes easier and easier, then you've got a problem. Because you no longer hate your sin. You no longer grieve over your sin. People that are truly saved folks hate their sin and grieve over it. If you are truly born again, and as such, you have the Holy Spirit Living in you, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit will not only spur you on to hate your sin, but it will also give you the power from on high to refrain from practicing habitual sin. Do you see the difference? I hope. Those who are not saved those who do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, they don't care if they sin. They could give a flying fig. In fact, much of the time, they relish their sin. I did when I wasn't saved. I celebrated my sin. Thought it was a joke. Thought it was cool. People brag about their sin, don't they? They um, have no guilt. They have no conviction while committing their sins. So their sins are very habitual. And, And not only are the sins habitual, but the attitude, the bad attitude is habitual. It's indifference about sin. Those that have the Holy Spirit abiding in them, as I said don't like the sin. It's plain that when they screw up and they commit the same old sins that they did before they got saved, they seek to and want to and, and want to uh, walk in the Spirit more. They seek out God. They seek out His Word. They pray, Lord, help me to overcome this or overcome that. They want to walk in the Spirit be in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's the difference between those who have the Spirit and don't have the Spirit. And the joy that they have in the Lord and the joy that they have by walking in the Holy Spirit is yet another gift from God through that same Spirit. We are not... Only as our text says, freely given these things, but these things are permanent. They become part of our new creature in Christ DNA. We don't have to work hard to be holy. It comes naturally with the new territory, with the new man, with the new man who is in Christ. It's not a work of drudgery to be holy. To the Christian, it should be what you live for. It should be what you desire all the time, to live a holy life, to please your God. The gratitude alone that we should have for the Father drawing us, dragging us to Christ and saving us should be enough right there to want to please God. With a holy life. Okay what else does our. Father give us. Through his Holy Spirit. That abides in us. Paul, Paul tells Timothy. In 2nd Timothy chapter 1. Verse 14. He says guard. Through the Holy Spirit. Who dwells in you. The treasure. Which has been entrusted to you. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. The treasure, the Greek actually is the word deposit. The treasure or deposit that Paul is referring to here is the truth of the gospel and the faith and sound doctrine that Timothy has been taught first by his Grandmother Lois, then his mother Eunice, along with, of course, that which uh, he was taught later by the, the Apostle Paul himself. Paul was his mentor. Timothy was a young preacher. All of these things that Timothy had would act as a foundation and support for young Timothy as he ventured out into his ministry, preaching the gospel of our Lord. And you can see that if you want to reference 1 Timothy 6.20. So it's through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us that we are able to guard these same things as most dear and foundational to our witness of the gospel and the Christian life. Our Faith, sound doctrine, sharing the gospel, all of those things the Holy Spirit gives us. It's part of our text. What does the Holy Spirit give us? What are those things? Gives us the gospel message, the ability to preach it, to share it, to work it out in our lives throughout the sanctification process. Another thing that the Holy Spirit who dwells in us gives us is his intercession for us. Paul in Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 says this, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And in Romans 8, 26 and 27, Paul says in the same way, The Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 27, And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Think about that. Think about those verses for a minute. Why? So that you can reflect upon God's unmatched goodness toward you. Paul is basically saying okay, this is my paraphrase. You are weak at times, you don't know how to pray as you should. So the Holy Spirit's going to pray for you. And not only that, but he's going to find out what the will of the Father is for you. And then he's going to petition the Father for those things in your life. That's what he says. And he's going to do so with groaning that is too deep, too intimate for words. Something to be thankful for, folks. And if that's not enough, what else freely given to us by God through the Holy Spirit, which dwells in us, First Corinthians 2:12, our text. OK What else is included in these, these things? Now, before we move on to the next thing, I'm going to tell you what else, but not quite yet. Before we move on to the next thing, please allow me to remind you of the greater context here. It's important, so important, that we understand the context. We are currently about the business of looking at these things that we receive from the Lord via the Holy Spirit. That's verse 12, which I just read. But the greater context of Paul's thought pattern is amplified in verse 9 where Paul quotes Isaiah. I'm going to read it again. I read it last time, but I'm going to read it one more time. But just as it is written, Paul says, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. That's the context the things that God has given us the things that will enter into our hearts the things that he has prepared for us okay so as a subcontext we're looking at verse 12 more specifically the word all that he freely gives us all things okay so with that fresh in our minds What's another substantial thing that God gives us via the Holy Spirit? I'm going to tell you. He teaches us and guides us. The Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us. And the, that is included in the all things that we get from the Spirit. When we look at verse 9, 10, 11, and 12. Okay? He guides us in the way that we should go. And he guides us in all truth. Period the way we should go, and in all truth. So let's check out a few passages in this regard. John chapter 14, the gospel of John, verse 26. Jesus said, but the Helper, capital H, the only spirit, I'm sorry, the only spirit, typo, uh, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring you to, or bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Let me read that again since I messed it up, okay? Jesus said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit helped the apostles and the disciples by reminding them of all that Jesus said to them and taught them. We also see this carried out in the book of Acts and in the writings of the early church fathers. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God puts us in remembrance of what is in his word, and not, he not only reminds us of those things, but he also reminds us of that which is true and that which we have been taught by others. John 16, verse 13, comes to my mind when I think about this. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you, into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. Whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He guides us in the way in which we should go. And he guides us in all truth. Remember Acts chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, while Peter was reflecting on the vision of the eat the unclean animals, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. He says, but get up, go downstairs, accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. This is an example of the Holy Spirit leading the early church in the way that he wanted it to go. At this point, I can't help but think of the account that I already shared with you um, in this church where the Lord clearly intervened in a miraculous way to let me know that He wanted us to use this building to meet in beginning nine years ago. And I'm referring to the story that I told you about the altar and how someone had had given me a word through prayer about not worrying about the altar. How many of you have heard? You've all heard that, right? Okay, so I can give you quite a few accounts over the years where God miraculously intervened in a situation and made his will unmistakably known to me and to others that I know who are close to me. So I want you to see that although it's not overwhelmingly common for God to work that way in our lives today, he still does at times work that way in our lives today. God also, obviously, and I would say this is the main way in which God speaks to us is through his word, okay? He speaks to us through the word and in our times of prayer and communion with him. And he also speaks to us through other people. I mean, how many times have you prayed for something and asked the Lord to confirm it, whether or not you should do it or not, or whether or not you are moving in the right direction or not? And someone that you had a conversation with miraculously confirmed it and had, didn't even have any idea that they were part of your answer to prayer and they're part of the confirmation of what you prayed for. Okay, I hope you've all experienced that. So, speaks to us through his word, speaks to us, speaks to us through other people. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, Luke says... While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. I would like to point out, obviously, the prayer and fasting here. The very reason why we are taught to fast regularly is so that we can deny the flesh. Okay, And as such, be more in tune with the Holy Spirit. To be more in tune with the voice and the direction of the Holy Spirit. If God doesn't speak to us in some way, folks, when we fast, then why fast? What's the point in fasting if it doesn't put you in a more intimate place? with the Holy Spirit and with Christ. Now, let me read this to you, Acts sixteen six and 7. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came... To Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. There are many times in Paul's ministry that Paul's travel plans did not go as expected or as he would have liked them to go, and he says so whether it was from direct revela- revelation from the Holy Spirit or it was by the Holy Spirit manipulating circumstances, Paul went where the Holy Spirit wanted him to go and nowhere else. In Romans chapter 1, verse 13, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Paul looked at everything that happened in his life as providential. And so should we. So should we. Because that's what the scriptures teach. As plain as the big nose on my face. Proverbs 16.9 The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I can't even begin to tell you how many times uh, in my life that I have prepared and planned to go one way And then the Lord ended up taking me another way. And then he showed me later, sometimes way later, how or why, if I would have did it my way, it would have been detrimental to me or detrimental to the ministry or to this church. In James chapter 4, 13 and 14, James says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit then he says yet yeah, you don't even know what your life will be like tomorrow you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away we can't be certain but god is always certain his plans can never be thwarted. This should come as a great comfort to us. It really should. In Isaiah forty-eight seventeen, we read, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Job 42. Verse 2. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours. Can be thwarted. Proverbs 21. One. One of my favorite. When we're in a. Very strange political climate. The king's heart. Is like the channels of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it whichsoever way he wills. I see many Christians today fretting over current events in the world and especially in our country. I've been guilty of that. Are these things scary? (laughs) You bet they are. Are they negatively affecting our finances, the morality of our children, the safety of our citizens? Absolutely. Should we be concerned and take precautions where necessary? Without a doubt. Yeah. Should we cower in fear and render ourselves paralyzed? Absolutely not. Why? Because the Bible's clear. God is steering the ship, and whether or not he allows success or failure for us as Christians in the political climate, whether or not he ordains plenty or wantonness, folks, we have a home in glory. (laughs) I mean, even if we die a martyr's death, we have a heavenly home with an eternal Inheritance. And this life compared to that life? No comparison. You want to take me? Take me. Because I believe, I have faith, that the next life's going to be better than this one. (laughs) I don't think there's going to be any Joe Bidens in heaven. I don't know. Anyway, what's my point in looking at all these scriptures. The point is to prove our text true. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to prove what Paul says is true. Now, we have received, Paul says, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us, by God. That's our text. God, <clears throat> as you've heard so many times, people putting down the bumper sticker, God is not your co pilot, He's your pilot. And I would add, you are on a direct nonstop flight with no layovers, and you will reach your destination one way or the other. And you can be rest assured that He is in control of everything. And His Holy Spirit will guide you in the way you should go. He will guide you in all truth. He will teach you what you need to know. And when your Heavenly Father allows suffering in your life, and He will, you may not understand it. In fact, you may hate it. And let's be honest. You may even be angry with God for a long time. You may never know in this life why he ordained you to suffer. But I can assure you that in the next life, you will know why he allowed that suffering in your life, and you will praise him for it. Furthermore, these things in verse 12 that he freely gives us by His Spirit. In verse 13, we are told that these are things we will talk about. This is tricky. These are things we'll talk about, and Paul says that we will do so, quote, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. What in the world does that mean? The ESV says it better. It says, quote, taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So we're interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Still, (laughs) what does it mean? Well, the key... To understanding this is found in the next verse, verse 14. Okay, 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. One can explain spiritual realities with spirit-taught words to the natural man until they are blue in the face. And the natural man will never get it. Because they can't get it without the Holy Spirit first regenerating the heart. We've talked about this a million times. And here, Paul is talking about it again. In verse 13, okay, like I said, a little difficult to interpret. But I'm going I'm to put it this way. Paul's saying, look, the Holy Spirit has taught these things to me, to Paul, and now I'm teaching them to you and we can understand these spiritual realities because we have been given eyes to see and ears to hear, but the natural man, the guy born totally depraved, image of Adam, fallen, original sin, he he ain't going to get it because The same spirit that has given us the gift of grace to see and believe. Yeah, he didn't give it to that other guy. That's the paraphrase. So, verse 14. That guy doesn't accept the things of the spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them. Because the Holy Spirit hasn't given him the ability to understand spiritual things. Are you with me? But... You do, Paul says, you do have the ability to understand spiritual things. You've got the mind of Christ. What's that mean? Look at verses 15 and 16 of our text. Verse 15, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Okay? Here's what it means. In this context, it means that Christ's mind, his purposes, the spiritual things that he reveals through the Holy Spirit, yes, all these things that we just looked at in verse 12, He has enabled us to know and understand those things and to understand those things is to understand his mind because those things come to us by him through his spirit. They come from his mind. Not that he has an actual tangible mind. You know what I mean. They come from him. And because we understand these spiritual things as Christians, because we live these spiritual things and because we are a herald Of these spiritual things as part of the gospel message and part of discipling we've got the same mind that Christ has we're just repeating everything that Christ is giving to us Paul says in Galatians 4 6 & 7 because you are sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba father therefore You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So with these verses in mind, we also can see that we have the mind of Christ in that because we are adopted sons and joint heirs with Christ. The spirit of Christ, Paul says, lives in us and cries out in terms of endearment to our father on our behalf. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 helps us to understand this plainly. Verse 5, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Have this mind among you, yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account, did not count Equality with God, a thing to be grasped, verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ's mind, if you will, is something we should have or at least something we should aspire to, verse 5. And what is Christ's mind that we should have in us? Paul couldn't possibly make it any clearer. He says, we're to empty ourselves, strip ourselves of anything that is self. That's what Jesus did to come to the earth and take on the form of man. He stripped himself. Empty yourself of pride. Empty yourself of your meisms that are so prevalent in evangelical America. Oh, God has a plan for your life, and it's a good one. God wants to give you all kinds of stuff. He he wants me to dream big, and because after all, he can only do what I let him do. I've, Tied his hands behind his back because he have been confessing so many negative things in my life. But now, I've seen the light. Now I'm going to stop making God helpless in my life. I'm going I'm to tie his hands with my faith and confessing my words so that I can finally do what he's been wanting to do in my life. Oh, bless me, bless me, bless me. I've been holding God back from blessing me, from doing miracles in my life. My pastor prophesied over me and the Lord told him, that he wants to do miracles in my life. But I won't let him. I got stinking thinking. He wants to release the Holy Spirit in my life. <sighs> That's not Philippians 2, 5-8. Philippians 2, 5-8 is I empty myself of self just like Christ did. And I take on the form of a servant just like Christ did. And I humble myself even to the point of death if that's what God has for me, just like Christ did. And if the Lord calls me to sell everything I own and go to the mission field, live in a tin and cardboard shack with a dirt floor and a leaky roof, that's what I need to be willing to do. That's what having the mind of Christ means. It means agreeing with what Christ agrees with, hating what Christ hates, and doing what Christ does until your dying day. And all of these things we see, we saw this morning in the word of God, and all of these things that we see in the word of God encompasses the things that we might know because they have been freely given to us by God through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's pray.